Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? The impact of stories. I've been thinking a lot recently about how much our brains are wired for story rather than sort of the facts and figures that often we want to rely upon, but that are just not as They're not as meaningful and they're not as memorable to people, really because of how our brains are set up, which brings me right to our guest. I read Bob Berg's, the first book that I became aware of, that Bob has co-authored with John David Mann, and it's a book called The Go-Giver. And Bob is an amazing author. He's an amazing speaker. And when I told several of my closest friends that I was having the opportunity to have podcast episode with Bob Berg, we all geeked out together. And Bob, you should know that each one of them said to me, oh, you have to tell him hi for me and that I'm his biggest fan. So you have, <laughs> you have many biggest fans Thank out you. there. Well, that means a lot um, to me. That's, that's not something I ever take for granted. I appreciate that greatly. Please tell them hello back and that I'm their biggest fan. Ah, oh, thanks. See, and that's, that's exactly the essence right there of Bob Berg and of The Giver. Bob is a sought-after speaker at company leadership and sales conferences where he shares about this Go-Giver platform and talks with everyone from today's business leaders and broadcast personalities to even a former U.S. president. He's the author of a number of books on sales, marketing, and influence with his total book sales of well over a million copies sold. I've bought four because I've bought three copies of this, one for me and two for other people. And I also have The Go-Giver Leader which again, Bob authored with his co-author, John David Mann. And that first book, the red one, The Go-Giver, it sold 975,000 copies and has been translated into 29 languages. The newest in the Go-Giver series, the newest parable is The Go-Giver Influence. And Bob knows well about the power of stories. These are all parables that help us to understand the opportunity and the five laws that he's laid out. So welcome, Bob. Thank you. What an honor and pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. 
Oh, I'm so excited to be here with you today. So to get us going, the first question that I ask all my guests, what's something that you've become aware of that you or other people weren't paying attention to, either intentionally not paying attention to it or unintentionally, unconsciously not paying attention to it? You know, that's a, a great question. And I think it would be something I've it, that I don't think I've just become aware of it. I think it's something I've studied for a long time, although I also have to, as a human being, have to consciously do my best to stay aware of it. <laughs> and that is the understanding that people don't do things for our reasons or just because we want them to. Okay. In other words, it's not about us. It's about them. And I think intellectually, we all understand that. And yet, how often do we see salespeople, especially who are talking about their product or their service, about how I'm this and I'm that. And, and most of it just goes kind of right through that other person's mind because they don't care. When I was speaking a lot at conferences, I would often begin by telling salespeople by just saying, you know, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet, <laughs> right? They're not going to buy from you because you need the money or even because you're a really nice person. They're going to buy from you only because they believe they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And that's the only reason anyone should buy from you or from me, from anyone. It's the only reason why someone should employ us. It's the only reason why someone should offer us a job. It's the only reason why anything? Because our focus is on, on them. And really, when you think about it, selling is nothing more than discovering what the other person wants, needs, or desires and helping them to get it. And yet it's very easy as human beings for us to just forget that and focus on ourselves it, with good intent. You know, we, <laughs> we love our product or service. We think we do a great job and we think everyone should Buy, but that's not how it really works. So, <laughs> so I think that's the biggest thing we need to constantly and continually pay attention to, that it isn't about us, it's about them. I love that. And I love how clear you are about how hard it is for humans to remember that. Hopefully, we are all the center of our own universe. <laughs> um, but we get into a place of selling and I think it's David Pink who has the book about essentially how we're always selling. We're selling something. I'm selling my husband on what we're going to have for dinner. We're always selling as human beings. And the more that we can lean into what it is that benefits other people, what it is that other people are seeking, the more we can find commonality and the more successful we can all be. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the name of the game. So let's get into it a little bit. Can you, for anybody out there who has not read the book yet, and I would highly recommend The Go-Giver. It is easy to read. It's completely engaging. It's a quick read. Can you give us a quick review of the five laws that you and John share in the book? Sure. Absolutely. You know, it's based around a very simple premise when you think about it, which we're, we've kind of both been hitting on here. And that is that shifting your focus, right? And this is, again, where it all begins, shifting yeah. your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, 
We simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others. Understanding that doing so is, again, not only a more fulfilling way of, of conducting business, it's the most financially profitable way as well. And not for any way out there, woo-woo type of magical, mystical <laughs> reasons. It, it really makes rational sense, logical sense. When you're that person who can take your focus off yourself and place it onto helping others, right? Helping discover and determine what they want and, and helping them and, and helping them work through their issues and challenges, helping them to find new opportunities to improve their lives or their business, whatever it is. That, and when helping bring that, helping to bring them closer to happiness, right? In some way, because of that focus, people feel good about you. People want to get to know you. They like you. They trust you. They want to be in relationship with you. They want to do business with you if that directly, if that's appropriate, if they need what you, you know, and, but they definitely want to be your personal walking ambassador and tell <laughs> the world about you. So again, when you do this, you're really creating that, what we call benevolent context for success. And the five laws are the laws of value, compensation, influence, authenticity, and receptivity. The first one, the law of value, is all about, well, it begins with understanding the difference between price and value, where price is a dollar figure, a dollar amount. It's finite. It is what it is. Value is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, what have you, that brings so much worth to another person that they will willingly exchange their money for it and be glad, be ecstatic that they did mm -hmm. while you make a healthy profit. And just a very quick example I like to use because it's fairly tangible is if you were to hire an accountant to do your taxes and she charged you $1,000, that's her fee or her price. But if she saves you $5,000, if she provides you with countless free time that you wouldn't have had otherwise, right, because she's doing that work for you, if she provides you and your family with the security and the peace of mind of knowing it was done correctly, she actually <laughs> gave you well over $5,000 in value right. in exchange for that $1,000 fee. So that's why we say your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment but you're not losing money, right? Because that 5,000 that you, that, that she saved you and all the time and all the, that's great, that's worth tons to you. But the $1,000 that she charged, that she earned was well worth it to her, right? Right To her, it was well worth her exchanging her knowledge, her wisdom, her time, her energy, her, you know, caring her, everything for that $1,000 fee. So both of you came out way ahead of where you were. Mm -hmm. That's really the law of value. Law number two, the law of compensation says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So where law number one says, again, you have more in value than you take in payment. Law number two tells us that the more people whose lives you touch with that exceptional value, the more money with which you'll be rewarded. So again, your accountant, you did a great job of giving you more in value than she took in payment while making a, a healthy profit. If you're her client, well, you're very happy with her. You would do business with her again, and you probably would refer her and introduce her to a lot of people who need her help while her other clients feel the same way. So our accountant is very quickly amassing that army of personal walking ambassadors. Mm -hmm. And as she continues to add that kind of exceptional value to the lives of more and more people, her income will continue to grow and grow. 
in the mm-hmm. story, uh, Nicole Martin, the CEO, was, was telling Joe, the protege, that law yeah. number one represents your potential income, but law number two actually represents your actual income because as important as value is in and of itself, it's the number of lives you impact with that value that mm-hmm. equals your income. So we could say exceptional value plus significant reach equals very high compensation. Law number three is the law of influence. And this one simply says your influence, your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Now, sounds counterproductive, right? It sounds almost Pollyanna-ish, but then you think (laughs) about it, the greatest leaders, top influencers, highest consistent money earning salespeople, this is simply how they run their lives and conduct their businesses. They're always looking out for the interests of the other person. Now, uh, just to clarify and qualify that statement, because I think this is very important, it can easily be misunderstood. Mm -hmm. When we say place the other person's interest first, we don't mean you should be anybody's doormat or a (laughs) a martyr or self-sacrificial in any way. Absolutely Mm -hmm. not at all. It's simply understanding that as, as several of the mentors in the story told Joe, the protege, the golden rule of business, of sales, is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. Mm-hmm. And there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you in others than by genuinely moving from that I focus or me focus to an other focus. Looking to, as Sam, one of the mentors in the story, advised Joe, make your win all about the other person's win. Mm -hmm. Law number four is the law of authenticity. And this one says the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. In this part of the story, one of the mentors, Deborah, shared a very important lesson she learned in her career. And that is that all the skills in the world, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they are, and they are indeed very, very important. <laughs> They're also all for naught if you don't come at it from your true authentic core. But when you, as we like to say, show up as yourself day after day, week after week, month after month, people feel good about you. They feel comfortable with you. They feel safe with you. And why shouldn't they? They know who they're getting. They know who they're getting every time they see you because you're authentic. You're going to be consistent. You're going to be the same person every single time. And, and that's when the, the no like, love, and trust relationship really begins to, to be authentic, to show up authentically. You know, we need to really be able to embrace our authentic value, right? Mm-hmm. We need to know that as human beings, we bring great value to the table naturally, but we also have to be aware of our, what I call market value. And I define market value as that combination of strengths, traits, talents, and characteristics that allows a person to give value to the marketplace in such a way that they will be rewarded for it. Mm -hmm. And we all have these strengths. Of course, we all have weaknesses too. And we need to know the the different weaknesses there are. There's some weaknesses that can be ignored because they're just not very important. There are some that just need to be mitigated and controlled. But there are other weaknesses that actually need to be turned into strengths Mm -hmm. if we're going to reach our potential. So we need to be aware of those. But we also do need to be aware of our strengths so that we can lead with those strengths. 
The challenge with this, the challenge with this is that as human beings, we're so emotionally close to ourselves, it can be very difficult to really acknowledge and embrace that greatness we have within us, especially because, you know, we see the world through our own eyes, just like everybody else does. And we kind of assume that, well, if we're good at this, everybody else does it too, can do it too. (laughs) It's just not true. But we, and and when we don't really understand and embrace those, those assets of value, this is when we, we undercharge, we don't value ourselves enough. We take anything we can get because we don't feel we're worthy of holding out for what we can really, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So very important to get with a, a coach such as you who can help people by caring about them, but not being so emotionally involved in their lives that mm-hmm. keep you from seeing, right? So, right? so it's very, very important to be able to really understand your strengths, those elements of value that you possess so that you can come at it through an authentic way. And then law number five is the law of receptivity. And this one simply says that the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. And this really means nothing more than understanding that, yeah, you breathe out, but you also have to breathe in, right? (laughs) It's not one or the other. Mm -hmm. You breathe out carbon dioxide and you breathe in oxygen. You breathe out, which is giving, giving of value. You breathe in, which is receiving. Neither is more important than the other. Both are very important. The challenge is that the world around us, and often from the time we're born and the messages from the outside world, whether it's environment, school, you know, uh, our environment, our schooling, our news media, television, right. you know, what have you, they feed us just so many negative, horrible messages regarding when it comes to prosperity and money and business and, and so forth, that it can really get into the unconscious and it can really make us feel that there's an issue with receiving, you know what I'm saying? And so we stop ourselves, whether it's personal worthiness issues or just the message from the world around us about how people with money must have done something wrong. You know, and, and I know it sounds like just illogical. No, yeah, but it's, when you get this message all the time, right? right? That's why we like to say that despite the messages from the world around us, giving and receiving are not opposite concepts. They're simply two sides of the very same coin and they work in tandem. Uh, you know, it's not, are you a giver? or a receiver. It's Mm -hmm. you're a giver and a receiver. Now, you know the way life works. The giving has to come first. We plant before we harvest. We sow before we reap. You know, we give before we receive. That's how it works. But when we can do that, when we can find new, more, better, creative ways to give more in value than we take in payment, to touch the lives of more and more people with the immense value we provide, to place the interest of others first, to act from our true authentic core, we've created the benevolent context for our success and to receive. What we need to do is make sure we allow that receiving, that we receive with gratitude. And I love your frame for all of this. And as you've been talking through these different laws, there've been various stories and questions that have gotten activated within me. So Let's start at the end first. I have a dear friend who has recently been diagnosed with cancer, and I firmly believe she's going to be fine, and she firmly believes she's going to be fine. So everybody's got a great attitude. 
And she, when she was telling me about it, she doesn't live nearby. And obviously, we are still in the midst of a pandemic. And I said to her, so how would you love to be supported? And would you love it if I called you once a week? Would you love it if I sent you little photographs? Would you love it if I sent you flowers every two weeks? Would you love it if I sent you flowers and a bottle of wine every two weeks? Would you love it? And I just kept sort of throwing out these ideas as they occurred to me. And she, I think, like a lot of people, ended up, her response was, no one's ever asked me that question before. How would I love to be supported? And in the end, she was like, I don't really, I don't really know. I've never, I've never thought about it. And, and I don't really know what I feel comfortable with. I don't know what I feel comfortable with receiving. And so let's start with, you know, whenever you think of me, just send me a text. And so I've been, you know, working on doing that in some sort of a, of a routine and it, brings up for me how challenged a lot of us are in this area of receiving. Look how difficult it can be when someone gives you just a compliment. Right? How it's, oh, no. As opposed to just saying, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so it's something that needs to be worked on. And and we can start small and build on our small successes. You know, it's the gratitude, or let's say the receptivity muscle, if you will, is much like a physical muscle. You know, if your goal is to lift 200 pounds, you don't start out the first day at 200 pounds. You start out with 10 pounds. Right. And then you go up to 15 and then 20 and then 40 and then 60. And then, uh, you know what I'm saying? And you work up that way, building in your small successes. It's the same thing with receptivity. But don't put pressure on yourself to have to all of a sudden go into this huge receptivity. No, just say thank you for those nice compliments. Or if someone holds the door open, thank you pours coffee for you or, you know, whatever it happens to be and start building upon those things. And, you know, when you get a check, a small amount, medium amount, big amounts, thank you. You thank God or thank the universe or that, however you want to. Or the client or whoever, right. I read a a great book by a a gentleman by the name of Ken Honda called Happy Money. Mm -hmm. And what it's about is the energy around money that people give it, both positive and, and negative. And in Japanese, thank you is arigato. And so he did a thing suggesting that whenever you receive any money to say arigato. So, you know, whenever Kathy, my business partner, and I see a deposit into our bank account or we see someone sign up for our Success Alliance membership or whatever it happens to be, it's always, you know, when we text each other, it's always arigato. Arigato. Every time. Because it's a muscle, you know, and it doesn't matter whether it's small or big. Arigato. Because you're thankful for receiving. It doesn't matter the amount. I would also make a big study of uh, prosperity itself. I mean, there's people Mm. like Randy Gage and Sharon Lecter and Ellen Rogan and Bob Proctor and and Ken Honda and Mm -hmm. David Nagel and and numerous people who they they write and they speak and they blog and they video and they have books on prosperity. And, you know, there's some of the older books, The Science of Getting Rich and Catherine Ponder's Dynamic Laws of Prosperity. And uh, there are tons of them out there. (laughs) But a study really, and the reason why I say proactively study it is because again, all the, the limiting garbage we get all the time, Mm -hmm. just watch the news or go on Twitter or be in conversation or overhear something. 
And so that comes in naturally, okay? So in order to kind of flush that in a sense, we need to proactively put the, the positive thoughts, the positive energy about money, about prosperity, about abundance. And I love how you're connecting that so directly into appreciation and just starting to use that appreciation muscle. And so when someone pours you a cup of coffee, say thank you. You know, just doing the little things to start creating that internal receptivity. Yeah. You know, you think about it, success in and of itself can be defined in many ways, but it also covers many areas. I mean, there's certainly success in terms of financial, but there's there's financial, there's physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, social, relational, and probably a dozen other areas of success. And in all of these, we give energy to it first. We give energy first, and then we receive, and we need to allow ourselves to receive again. Financially, physically, spiritually, mentally, boy, all we need to receive and right, or else it's yes, yeah. And so yeah. that's really, you know, that's really what it's about. So I would like to ask you one more question before we wrap up here. I can't believe how quickly this is all gone. That's because you're a one great the, interviewer. You make it easy. You make it a oh, quick conversation. Thank you. My pleasure. One of the things uh, when you were talking about value, I got to facilitate a conversation among a group of professional women, all who own their own businesses, all functioning at a relatively high level. Mm-hmm. And my question, I did, I did a poll, and my question was, you have a client or a potential client, actually it was a potential client, who needs to get connected to somebody else. And it's a high profile public figure They want and are willing to pay you for your services to connect them. It's going to take you 10 minutes to do this. How much do you charge them? And it was so fascinating to me, speaking of value, because this was going to be a huge value to the client. They could not make what they were trying to make happen without a connection to this individual. And you were the best conduit that they had and you want to do other business with this client but they are clearly not asking you for a favor they're clearly asking you for commodity transaction Mm -hmm. and so because it was going to take you 10 minutes some people said you know i'd charge them 25 dollars. some people said i'd charge them five thousand dollars some people said i'd charge them ten thousand dollars a few people said i wouldn't charge them at all And I thought it was such an interesting span of answers because some of it was really predicated on value Mm -hmm. and some of it was really predicated on giving. So when you come up in those kinds of challenges where you're looking at the value that you're returning to a client versus the opportunity to just give something that could be of enormous value. What are your thoughts on how you balance that out? So this is one of the few times that I will ever provide a definitive response, okay? Uh, Awesome. The answer is, it depends. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) I love it. So because there's really a lot more to it than just that. You know, the quick answer is if you can make a connection for someone, you make a connection. If you're in the business where you're connecting someone to someone at business, 
that's what you do. Obviously, you charge for because that's the commodity you're in. That's the value right. over and above. But we're not talking about that. We're talking more that it's not what you do. It's someone who you have a relationship you'd like to do more business with, but they also believe that you can connect them to someone who they really need and yep. so forth. So now my quick answer would be, well, no, you don't charge them for it because that's just something that you do because you can. Mm-hmm. The fact that it takes 10 minutes isn't the issue. Okay. It's the old story of the person who's brought in at the middle of the night to fix the, you know, the heater on right. a freezing night and they, right. you know, they look around and they tap twice and they fix it and they say, <laughs> okay, that's a thousand dollars. And the person goes a thousand dollars, but you know, it took you 10 seconds. Oh yeah. The tapping was free. It's my knowledge over 10 years. That's a thousand dollars, you know, exactly. would you rather me turn it back off? You know, no, it's not the time. It's the value that is a thing. So again, it comes down to what is it you're looking to accomplish with this? If it's a matter of you just, it's congruent with your values to do a good thing to connect someone because you can, and that's what you do. It's because it's who you are. Well, you know, you just do it and you know that it's something that's going to be appreciated by that person. You certainly hope it is, and but you're not attached to it, but you just, you know, you hope it is. If it's something where this is totally not something you would do and you don't necessarily have a connection with that other person. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to take work and a lot of effort to get it. And it's something that you would know. Well, now you have to make a different decision. Now it's, that's not exactly your job description, but it's something that you're having to put work and effort in a different thing. Well, now you, it might be something different. I would not charge, if I was going to charge for it though, I would not charge $25. don't do that that's playing much too small okay you're much better off just doing it (laughs) but so again while my quick answer is you know if you can make a connection with someone if that's again if that's not your what your job is sure you make the connection but it comes down to different things too it's all a matter of different goals and intents and in situations so there's really no one answer to that isn't that the way of life it's all about context and it's all about well exactly uh, that's, by the way, that goes back to your initial question you asked me too. What's something that people don't pay attention to? Mm-hmm. And what people don't pay attention to is nuance and context. Mm-hmm. We want to see everything as black and white. If you're a, a Democrat, all Republicans are just bad. If you're a Republican, all Democrats are just bad. If you're a Republican, all Republicans are good. If there's no, no nuance to it, you know, in business, it's either this or that, you know, it's this. So I think what we need to do is really start paying attention more to the fact that in life, it's typically not black and white. Now, certain things are in terms of certain values and certain, of course they are, but most things, and that's why before I learned a great thing from a a book by a woman by the name of Annie Duke called Thinking in Bets. And uh, she just wrote a a new book that just came out, How to Make Decisions. I mean, she's, she's absolutely brilliant. But in Thinking in Bets, what she talked about is we typically don't have all the information before making a decision, okay, before making the bet as to what we're going to she was opposed right. to. We want it, but we rarely have it. We rarely have it. Now, <laughs> we can do certain things, and this is what she takes us through in her newest book, How to Decide. There's certain things we can do to, again, create the context where we have the most information possible, mm-hmm. but we still probably don't have all the information. <laughs> and we need to make decisions based on not having all that information, having the best possible information, understanding the cost-benefit analysis of doing this and what will happen, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And what she said is, you know, she says, if you look on Twitter, for example, or Facebook, 
how many people just just make statements about something. But would they make that same statement if they had the million dollars that it was correct? <laughs> no. Right. And so that since I read her book, I started really thinking more in that way. I'm loath to give an opinion as though it's fact mm-hmm. without thinking to myself, would I say this thing if it was going to cost me a million dollars if I were wrong? <laughs> uh, that's not that's not a bad way to go about deciding whether to make a statement. Would that we all were in a place where we can embrace that. One of the things that on the long list of things that I love and enjoy about my mother is she lives her life in the world of gray. Nothing is black, nothing is white. I mean, as you were talking about, of course, some of our basic values and tenets are, but she loves the nuance. She loves the gray. She embraces the gray and the nuance. And I think it's such a magnificent way to move through the world, especially in today's world, where it seems we're further apart as humans than we've ever been before. And the opportunity to lean into some of the things that your books talk about in terms of the five laws and in terms of being authentic and being our best selves and being our best selves through that lens of being a giver and being somebody who is not in it thinking about what can I get, but more what can I give and where's my opportunity to support other people. Man, if we all lived our lives that way, how magnificent. I grew up in a church and and one of the things that people always talked about is that the kingdom of God is here. This is the kingdom of God that we are living in. And if we could all embrace that go-giver way, think of how this kingdom of God could be different and could be magnificent. Magnificent thought. And it sounds like you had a magnificent mom who you learned from and you have been able to benefit from her wisdom and her love and thought processes. And that's really a blessing. Yeah. One of the great blessings of my life in point of fact. Well, Bob, I could talk to you all day, but I know, unfortunately, both for myself and you and our listeners, we don't necessarily have all day. So um, <laughs> so I want to go ahead and close this out. It has been a great joy and pleasure Thank to you. have the opportunity to talk with you today. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you so much. I have just loved being with you and uh, it's been a great conversation. Thank you. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams.
might need a political science degree to get a grip on my anxiety. I'm making 